Welcome to Pencils Down, a Finalis podcast. This is a show for listeners wanting to learn more about the ins and outs of the private securities brokerage landscape. Each episode will feature insightful conversations with the world's leading investment bankers, placement agents, capital providers, startup CEOs, and more. And with that, let's get into the show. All right, Nick McShane, thank you so much for joining us here on the Pencils Down podcast. Very glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I usually like to start by asking our guests to share a little bit about their backgrounds and the paths that led them to investment banking. Would love to learn a little bit of perspective just on your own story, your own story arc that led you to ultimately founding Progress Partners. Sure. It's maybe a non-traditional way. I mean, I think a lot of boutique investment banks are formed by individuals or teams of people come from a traditional investment banking bulge bracket market and go kind of boutique around specialists, uh, specializing around a sector or a, a, a certain type of banking. I actually started Progress Partners coming out of the operating side, working for tech companies back in the late 90s. So I was beneficiary of being part of Web 1.0 days, the 97, 1997 to 2000 timeframe where the internet was blowing up, everything was possible out of nowhere, this whole industry of sort of digitizing different types of communication sort of started to, to hit the mainstream. And honestly, just I've sort of ridden that wave of digitization of advertising, marketing, and media over the past uh, two, two and a half decades. Uh, so I started out working in product development and marketing um, for a company called CMGI, which was uh, an internet investment company. At one point, it was... Um, sort of one of the biggest things happening uh, in the internet. We owned companies like AltaVista, Ubid, which was uh, a competitor to eBay, Lycos, Raging Bull, lots of... Uh, I haven't heard some of these website names in a long time. <laughs> yeah, these are these are some of the OGs of, of, of the web. And um, absolutely, it was a it was an interesting uh, conglomerate of companies. And um, it was a Caressu model where they all kind of worked together to support one another which was uh, a benefit as they were growing. But then as the market tightened up, um, it was actually sort of the poster child, frankly, uh, of, the, of the fall. So, you know, as, as companies started to struggle, that their interdependence with each other uh, caused each of them to fall um, upon themselves. And, you know, it was, uh, but it was a great experience. Met amazing people who all felt they needed to uh, come up to Andover, Massachusetts, where the company was based, to make their pilgrimage to meet with David Weatherall, who was the, the founder and CEO. And um, uh, at one point, he was on the cover of Business Week, and company was worth billions and billions of dollars. So it was a fascinating time, and I've, I've kept in touch with a lot of uh, my colleagues from those days over the years. A bunch of us in 2000 uh, left and went to a startup company, which we built up. We hired bankers. We hired lawyers. Um, uh, we financed the business, and then we ultimately sold it to Symantec. And one of the things that I think we really felt was that the professional service companies that we were hiring and working with didn't really truly understand what was going on, didn't understand the sort of what this internet was all about and where its potential was. And um, that was just sort of a learning that I had at the time. I then uh, um, came out of, you know, so when you work in the startup world, either your company succeeds and, uh, and is bought by a California company and they say, okay, great, we just got bought by Juniper Systems or whatever. Hey, move to California. And I was like, I don't really want to move to California. I like it here in Boston. So you're out of a job. And at the time, you're out of health insurance. Um, 
And then, you know, your next one you work on is like, ah, it didn't work out so well. You know, we, we crashed. And so you're out of a job, you're out of health insurance. And so I was just having my third child and I felt, God, I got to grow up at some point and start to provide stability to this family I have here. So I'm going to get three jobs. I'm going to be a consultant to three companies. And then if one goes down, I'll have two left and then I'll go get a third again. And I just, my goal was get three clients. And then I also wanted to provide uh, health insurance for myself and the people who worked with me because it was such a, a rocky road and, and we felt it was really better to be able to, uh, to have some stability. So that was really kind of the founding principle around it was just like, get out of this crazy startup world and start and get into, uh, you know, more of a stable environment. But anyway, so we started working with companies really around st strategy work, around helping them with go-to-market strategy, uh, accessing new markets. This is right after 9-11. Uh, so everything was kind of frozen and people were unsure where their next markets might be. And uh, we started helping companies um, uh, and with that. And then they said, hey, love the strategy. We really need some money. Could you help us raise money? So this is now getting into 2003 and four when the markets were extremely tight. No one was investing in anything. And we went around and helped uh, a lot of little, very little companies raised their first capital. Um, this is three, five, seven, ten million dollar raises, and um, we did this for about five years and had some some great success. And I remember uh, sitting down with somebody, like a, a real investment banker, one day, five years into the business, and he said, "You know, Nick, I just wanted to tell you that you know my colleagues and I we're all very impressed that you're still in business because." Not only do you do the worst part of investment banking, which is you know, financing, capital raise, but you also do it for people who, by definition, have no money. So they're they're startups. They're you're just taking on all their risk. And you know, it's like we do M and A. We do this stuff like where we sell companies. We we go and buy companies. And uh, in the M and A world, with more mature companies and clients, you have things like clients. You know, they have they have their your clients have customers. They have revenue. They have EBITDA. They have CFOs. They have finance teams. You're doing it all. I, it's just amazing that you're you're still in business. And I was like, I walked away from that, scratching my head and thinking, yeah, that is kind of tough. Like maybe we should uh, maybe we should do some of that M and A stuff. So, and at the time, some of our clients were actually saying, hey, we we now we're ready to sell. Hey, now we're ready to to go buy another company. And so we we kind of figured that out and worked our way into it. So as the firm now roll forward you know, 15, 20 years, we now are 35 people uh, based in Boston with an office in New York and DC. We expanded our, our original focus, which was advertising, marketing, and media tech and sort of the B2B businesses. We now do media content. Uh, we also um, bought a firm down in DC that does GovTech, GovCon, and uh, government technology, uh, but, but also for the Defense Department but also uh, SaaS software, managed service providers. We do some ed tech. So we do a bunch of different things and we've diversified our, our sectors, but it's always still been based around um, subject matter experts who are real professionals who had a, had a full career in those sectors and really can connect with this, this, the management teams and the boards around what the businesses are about. And that's kind of been our tenant. So we, we've continued to convert, if you will, operators into bankers. Uh, we certainly have uh, also say about half and half now of uh, bankers who have joined us to join our platform and gone boutique. But um, but we still have a, a number of uh, bankers who 
uh, also were in business development or corporate development at companies and have come to join us here. So that's sort of the story of how we got from 9-11 to here. And, uh, and I'm very happy about the, the team we have and, and the work we're doing. And every year, you know, we're working with better, bigger, more interesting companies. And, and we enjoy that. One of the things we left behind was that we stopped doing the early, early stage capital raises. It is, it is God's work and we did enough of it. Uh, so we feel comfortable in our future um, uh, passage into the case of heaven. But um, we, uh, so we do later stage capital raise as a bank, but we decided, you know, we've got this great network of, op- of entrepreneurs and people kept coming to us saying, hey, you know, I want to go raise $3 million. Um, uh, and we said, you know, instead of going and raising that money from this network of VCs and charging a small banking fee of a few hundred thousand dollars, what if we put in a few hundred thousand dollars and we become the catalyst for the round, we lead it, and we go syndicate it. And so we just sort of flipped it a little bit from from uh, the banking model to the to essentially the venture model. And that's how we started Progress Ventures. Um, we did that a few times uh, with our own money. Um, and then we ran out of our own money. So we had to go get other people's money and we started full formal fund structures. And then today we uh, are in our fourth fund. We've uh, brought in Liberty Global, Sinclair Broadcasting, Quad Graphics and TransUnion, all as strategic investors who are interested in our fund focus, which is B2B advertising, marketing, and media tech, still focused on the original uh, sectors we covered. And we've done very well. Well, I mean, first of all, congratulations on uh, to you and to your entire team on the incredible success story that Progress Partners has been. I did want to ask you just a couple of questions to dig deeper on some of the points that you mentioned. One of them was sure. really starting out doing relatively small ticket capital raise advisory and growing that over time. Two questions there. The first, what has been your observation around the shifting perception among within the buy side as it relates to brokered capital raise transactions, especially at the early stage. And secondly, you know, what would you say the current mix is between large capital raise versus M&A transactions are within Progress Partners today? Sure. I mean, I think part of the, everything has to do really with timing. At the time we were doing these early stage capital raises in 2003 and four and five, um, the market was very tight and entrepreneurs needed the help. In reality, venture investors see a brokered transaction for venture round, a series A, a seed, uh, even a series B sometimes, um, as a handicap to the management team. I think they see, VCs really see the, the job of the CEO to, to go raise that round as kind of a, a badge of, of accomplishment um, uh, you know, that they can do it themselves. I think once you get to you know, Series B, but certainly CDE, these are fully functioning larger businesses. Um, the CEO should be out running the business. And um, it's expected you know, with those later rounds that, you know, it's 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 natural or, or normal to bring in a, a banker to help um, uh, facilitate that transaction, uh, that later stage capital raise. So, so that was in part why we also moved away from it. We started to f- feel that pushback of, you know, hey, I don't really want to take my little $3 million investment and spend, you know, the first $250,000 out the door to pay you, right? So that was, um, that was part of it. As for us, you know, 
today we do capital raises kind of in the you know 20 to 50 million dollar round we have one that's sort of a 50 to 75 we're working on right now but these are our more mature companies um we don't do as much capital raise um certainly as we did back in those days uh we're seeing it more uh people are coming i think you know capital's tight and so people need the help um and need to expand their network of uh, potential investors. So we're seeing that work coming to us more. And uh, But you know, our firm is, is mostly an M&A shop, uh, sell side and buy side. And then just wanted to, to double tap on something that I find to be incredibly innovative, which is the build out of a venture fund effectively as being connected to the investment banking operation of Progress Partners. And I, I wanted to just understand a little bit more just from your perspective, the ways in which you think that Progress Partners is uniquely equipped now also as a venture fund to identify uh, unique investment opportunities in your coverage areas. Yeah, we we definitely run them as two separate businesses. They have their separate teams. We're all in the same office, but at the same time, we, we think of them in, in a very separate way. Uh, we don't bank our portfolio, which is to say, you know, we're not investing in companies so that we can generate banking fees for the banking side. That's not at all our our goal or our interest. You know, essentially, what the um, the portfolio companies get is a board member who is conveniently a banker, um, you know, and in, or in my case, also a former operator. So we talk about that we've sort of sat on in all the seats at the table. You know, we've been board members, we've been uh, we've been board members and investors, we've been operators, uh, we've been bankers, so we can kind of have different perspectives um, to help our companies. And frankly, it works on both sides. So there's a, a, a great amount of, I think, valuable information flow between the two sides of the business um, around pricing, around um, kind of just general trends, around the health of businesses. I mean, we've invested in 35 or 37 companies at this point. And so you know, we can very quickly find out, and it's fairly sector specific around advertising, marketing, tech. So we can go and find out kind of, um, you know, what are some of the trends? Is the, you know, is the ad market tightening up or is it, you know, or is, are people doing great? Um, and so I think, you know, we, we, we leverage the, the two sides of the business. Um, and certainly we'll have companies come to us asking to raise money it'll be too big for us. And we'll say, you know, you should go talk to the banking side and, and vice versa. So I think it's been, I think it's been great. And I think it's, um, you know, I think it's a model that, um, you know, will continue. Our, our investors are strategic. They want to see a return and we've produced a return. So we're not worried about that. But, um, you know, they want to see us investing in the kinds of companies that could be, and this is to one of your questions was, you know, sort of poking, you know, sort of seeing around the corner of what's the future. Well, one of the ways we do that on the banking side is that we're we're also investors in early stage companies that are the next cycle of of innovation for for the sectors we operate in. So I can't tell you the number of times we've gone and pitched a bigger company on the banking side, and um, you know, like, hey, we can do this for you, we can do that for you, and they're like, tell us more about your venture business. I'm really curious <laughs> about that, and that's actually how we got some of those guys to start um, investing in us as a kind of an extension for them into earlier stage uh, companies. Right. It's a way to really take the long view on managing and developing new relationships in the market that you have more to offer. Yeah. That relationship is you're also 
a potential source of deal flow and capital. Just to switch gears a little bit, yeah, I was spending in preparation for this interview, I was spending some time on the Progress Partners website. And one of the things that stood out really was at the top of the website, it says that it helps clients, that, that the investment bank helps clients to take advantage of technology forces disrupting the industry. And in the list that accompanies that assertion, it really starts with AI and machine learning. Right. And obviously, if you've been awake over the last month or two, it would be impossible to miss the remarkable developments with OpenAI and ChatGPT and, and how they've taken the tech world by storm. And the curiosity for me is really, I'd, I'd love to learn more regarding how Progress Partners has been able to capitalize on these sorts of developments um, in particular, especially given your coverage area focus. Any perspectives on that? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, we, like anyone else, uh, have seen AI and machine learning show up in every whether it's on the venture side, every pitch or every company is feeling like they need to try to, you know, indoctrinate and uh, engage uh, AI and ML into into their story. You know, I'm sure their boards are saying, "Hey, I'm, they're all reading the same thing and saying, what are we doing in AI?'" You know, so I'm sure everyone is trying to figure that out. I think what we so so many of our portfolio companies have been using AI and ML for years, and you know, it's that kind of technology or that kind of approach to innovation that creates, you know, the efficiencies that make, you know, the technology solution more um, uh, beneficial to their customers at a lower cost and so forth. So that's been going on for years. Um, I, you know, I, I think on on some levels, we had a, a good conversation uh, around the team last week as the New York Times article came out about the the journalist discussion with Sydney and uh, and just kind of how, how scary and the relationship can go as I guess the the journalist was sort of probing into uh, asking some questions. I read it. it. It was a it was a haunting piece. Yeah, absolutely. If you read the whole thing. Yeah, I and if there's, I guess you could actually read the whole script of what they uh, they talked about. Anyway, and I think there's you know so there's uh, there's business application that we're very interested in, but I think there's also you know for sure kind of concern of like where do we go next and like does anybody is anybody like holding on you know onto the power plug over it at uh you know whether it's at uh, google um, or microsoft where they can like unplug this thing in case it suddenly says like you know i'm taking over so but yeah i think ai and ml is just you know it's just the next generation of, of technologies that are being employed in pretty much everything i've seen some charts saying like hey we should go after ai companies and there's a whole you know, a chart of all the different companies in that sector. I think that these are technologies that are just going to be pervasive in every sector. And so I think, um, you know, we look at that and, and I think we've seen a lot of, of uh, benefit for the companies in, in trying to, uh, you know, employ or employing these, these technologies. And I think it's, it's just, you know, that's the future of, of the way things are going to go. So. One of the juxtapositions that you drew um, earlier in the conversation was just this juxtaposition between technology companies on the one hand and professional services businesses on the other hand. And I wonder whether you also see opportunities for these AI technologies to deliver better unit economics and efficiencies within a professional services context. Yeah, I mean, I haven't gotten to the point of saying, you know, hey, write me a sim uh, for this company and in 10,000 words and, you know, he, you know, here's their website, have at it. I don't think we're there. 
you know, I think on the professional services side, um, it, it's definitely helpful on the research side. I mean, so, uh, you know, I, I you can just go to, uh, uh, you know, I guess it's now Bing, but, uh, you know, or ask Sydney um, uh, a question and say, you know, tell me, I, I was just doing this actually with my son recently. He does uh, some investing um, for a firm in New York and uh, was just, you know, had the name of a company and said, hey, tell me about this company. What's their funding history? What's their, who are their competitors? And, uh, and like, dude did a whole rundown and like he sent it to me and I was like, that's pretty good. You know, that was, and that took like four seconds. So I think that probably puts some pressure on companies, you know, in the data and content space, like a pitch book or something like that. So um, that, you know, that, that experience is a lot faster and a lot cheaper than, you know, your, your pitch book subscription. I'm not saying we're going to get rid of pitch book anytime soon, but I mean, those those kinds of that kind of access to information, I think, could create a lot of efficiency, uh, you know, uh, uh, for our analysts and associates. And I welcome them. I encourage them to, you know, to use them. I think at the end of the day, though, you know, we're paid as professional services organizations to um, to build books and and to look at every cell in a in a spreadsheet and every paragraph in a sim, um, and make sure that you know we can stand behind it. So I think I I don't want that to be a replacement for humans. I'm, I'm a big, still a big believer in humans. In, incredibly fascinating. And, um, you know, one of the things I think about often is if we've been able to get this far, you know, what are the types of advancements that we're going to see over the next five to 10 years? Um, because what we're seeing is it really does feel like we're in the mid to late nineties of search. Right. 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 Around the time AltaVista was ultimately overtaken by Google, right, as yeah. a as a leading search engine. Um, I feel like we're just about that in that same period of time as it relates to this next generation of AI enabled um search. And I mean, just think of how far that space has evolved and the decacorns that have been created around that technology over that period of time. Yeah, I mean, it is it is remarkable. I think that also sort of the world of identity and and um, you know the deep fakes and and all that I think is also uh, I think a challenge, frankly, to democracy, to you know the social unrest that we've seen the last few years. Um, you know, if uh, it, it's certainly possible that um, uh, you know Joe Biden, who just went to uh, you know to Kiev this week. Um, you know, I could see uh, somebody over in, in Russia taking his speech and changing the words and changing his lips to say, you know, we're coming after you next at Russia, you know, Russia. And that's kind of that's a pretty scary uh, uh, thought. And and so I think that's really where we really need. And this is sort of a philosophical thing for us at Progress. You know, um, if I think about kind of strip away the the projects, the banking fees, the, you know, that all everything else, like what are we why are we here for? Um, I you know, I really do fundamentally believe in in um, ad supported media. Um, I think, you know, that that's a really important um, you know, free press and and an ad supported media environment is what gives the breadth of of uh, distribution of information from uh, you know, curated and and produced by uh, professionals who are professional news gatherers, not just bloggers. No offense to podcasters or anything like that, but you know, um, but you know, I think that's that's a key uh, key thing that I think we uh, we need to 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 continue to support. And so, I'd say if I look back on my career, a lot of it has been trying to help 
publishers of any sort, you know, remain profitable and successful so they can employ editors and writers to go and find the story and dig and get the, the, the true story and information. And so on some levels, this AI, ML, you know, deep fake uh, chat GPT kind of is a threat to, to publishing and, uh, and, and the truth in, in, uh, in news and so forth. So I don't want to get too political. I'm in the, I, I live here in the People's Republic of Massachusetts, but you know, that's where we are up here. <laughs> no, I, it, l- listen, I mean, I think chat GPT is a tool, right? Just like search is a tool and social media is a tool. Fire is also a tool. It can cook food and it can burn down buildings. Uh, and I think that there's a, a tremendous opportunity for uh, government and inspired regulation that doesn't get in the way of innovation, but holds the appropriate uh, social safeguards in place to to play a role. And we all have some concerns about how that might play out. But you know, obviously, that it is something to be to be thinking very carefully about. I wanted to return just to Progress Partners briefly, and um, would love to hear your perspective on what you would say the unique value proposition for Progress Partners is and its approach to serving clients in in such a dynamic and rapidly changing market. In other words, what are the dynamics and practices in your longstanding relationships that that really enables you to unlock insights and to see around corners as you state on your website? Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've always been you know, we are genuine experts. You know, I historically would have shied away from that and sort of been, and not really tried to stand behind that. But I, you know, the, the more time that we spend focused on the different areas that each of our, our, our bankers has really deep, deep industry expertise and experience, both professionally working in companies, but also doing the banking work and also now the investing work. So that, you know, we've really seen companies from all these different perspectives and lenses and, and then can apply that to a company and kind of help predict uh, the response from a counterparty, help position a company in the right way so that, you know, that, you know, I, I used to, my kids used to always ask me like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, we're professional storytellers, you know, really like, really what we do is we take a company and we turn it into a story and a story has a beginning, middle and end. And it has a, you know, as a lesson or a meaning uh, to it. And I think that's really that's really what we are. We're real, really communicators. Uh, we're taking all the uh, tech assets and all the, the salespeople and, and the, the, all the different components of a business and putting it into a story of where this company has been, where it is today, and where it's going. And, and I think that to be able to do that successfully, you really have to know what you're talking about, right? You can't just kind of fake it. And I think, you know, we often will meet with companies uh, and, and we'll spend the first you know hour just talking about the industry and uh, and then they'll say you guys are different like most investment banks they come in and they ask they're like okay what's your EBITDA okay what's your growth rate okay what's your you know and then they're like okay you're not a good fit for us and they just walk away and you guys really seem to be genuinely interested in what we do and also have ideas that we haven't even thought about and are willing to give us leads and and connect us with people who could be potential partners and we haven't even paid you yet. And, you know, so I think we're genuinely interested and genuinely care about the the the, the industry that we work in and um, and really want to see it continue to succeed. And sure, we have to have a business model. We have to make money. And I think by doing right by our clients, we've done, you know, well for ourselves. 
And I just wanted to ask you on that, and, and by the way, I completely agree with, with what you're saying, and it, I think it would be fair to say that it's likely a pro the Progress Partners approach is an authentic expression also of who you are, Nick, um, as somebody who's curious about the world and also just curious about people and relationships, that there's a long view, right? And that long view is also, I think, represented by the fact that you've built your own venture fund at being attached to the overall vision of what you're trying to accomplish in, in the industry. I'd, I'd be curious just to, you know, maybe hear some recent deals or transactions that you've worked on that you think are particularly representative or, or that you'd like to, you know, basically call out. Sure. Yeah. I mean, last year was a banner year for us, honestly. Um, our best year ever. We divest. I mean, one big deal I'm particularly proud of and one of our bankers, Brett Brase, ran, uh, was the divestiture of a company called Gamut um, uh, and also Cox Reps from Cox Television. So this is uh, Cox Local Broadcast Television Group um, divesting technology assets and sales assets um, away from its core broadcast uh, seg segment company. And um, you know the work was Cox Television is owned by Apollo. Apollo is a uh, real deal, tough guy, uh, private equity firm, um, and uh, they're, they're highly demanding. And our team really stood up to the challenge and found a, a great home for them with One Equity Partners. And that was a, you know, a, a really significant deal for us, a significant deal, I think, for Cox to be able to pay down a lot of debt and, um, and, and get the company into a very, very strong position for Apollo's um, uh, future return. So... That was um, that's one that's in the sort of OTT streaming television space. Um, another one is uh, Media Radar, uh, which is a, a technology company that is um, helping publishers understand pricing and and sort of the the buyer market of advertising. Um, they've done very very well. Uh, Todd Kreitzelman is the CEO there. David Arslanian uh, was the banker on our side, um, and and I think. Did a terrific job in finding, you know, find the right partner, and uh, you know, we worked with the private equity owner to ultimately to sell that one to Thompson Street Partners. Um, and again, this, these are sort of in the two to three hundred million dollar range exits uh, for for these companies. And you know, those are the, those are those are good, strong, you know, deals for us. I think we did about eleven or twelve deals overall for the year. Uh, so certainly some smaller ones as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, we had a very busy year. Uh, we also did deals out of Latin America. I saw that in your bio and your background that you've done some transactions down there. We sold a, a company called uh, Retargetly to Publicis. Um, so yeah, and it was a very uh, a good and and productive year. Um, I will say that we're quite interested in in international deals and have done a lot uh, with Europeans and South American companies. Um, and I think we'll continue to see that in the firm. Again, that's sort of a little bit born out of um, uh, as you said, you know. My personality, I, I like to travel and I'm always interested to, you know, see new countries and cultures. I just went to Israel for the first time uh, in my life just last week. Uh, I was there for 10 days and uh, I really was really impressed by the by the culture, the drive, the the technology innovations that they've that the Israelis have have built um, the general uh, togetherness of that of that country, even 
even as they go through some political challenges of their own, uh, which they're doing around their Supreme Court and, and Benjamin Netanyahu, but but the really the the singular oneness of, of Israel was uh, really shown through, and I was I was impressed by that. So, I, I you know it, we're actually pitching a, an Israeli company or two right now. Uh, we invested in a company uh, that was uh, originated out of Israel called Clinch in our venture fund. So that was sort of the the genesis of taking that trip. But then it became a lot more, and and uh, it was a great experience. Well, some very cool representative transactions. So congrats again to you, Nick, and to Progress Partners on those. And as we look ahead here in, in 2023, I guess we're already we're all, already well into Q1. Amazing how the time has gone by in this new year. Just curious to learn more about kind of what your plans or prognostications are for this year, both for Progress Partners as well as for the broader economy. Yeah, I mean, I think that 2023 is going to shape up kind of the reverse of 2022. So 2022 started off well and then went south uh, as a, you know, the, the year just kind of like just and month after month kind of got worse and worse. We had a, uh, you know, if you look at the macro picture, you know, you had interest rates at an all time low and inflation suddenly popped up um, as high as 8%. And then the Fed, you know, has rapidly been trying to catch up. And so I think that is now um, uh, inverted. And so now um, interest rates are now higher than the inflation rate, uh, which is good. And I think that we're going to see 2023, which started off slow, I think accelerate into the second half. And so, you know, we regularly pull all the companies in our portfolio and our clients to see how they're doing and where they see things. And I think people are seeing a softer first half, not a terrible one, because frankly, we're in the we're in technology space where everything's still getting digitized, still moving from analog to digital. And, you know, so uh, it's all relative, but um, I think everyone's now sort of recognizing that 2022, um, sorry, 2020 to 2022 was really an aberration. You know, it was this sort of pent up growth that came out of COVID and, uh, and valuations went out of whack. There was no very low interest rates. And, and I think that created... Uh, a misperception that companies were worth as much as they were then. And I think we're really going back to and returning to the pre-COVID levels of 2017 to 19, which were healthy. And there's nothing wrong with those times. And uh, um, but so so I think that's that's sort of I, I think we we see a positive, um, you know, uh, second half. And then in 2024, I think we'll we'll be back on track. There are these sort of black swan uh, circumstances like you know uh, Ukraine and and sort of the European recovery and and so forth, um, but uh, but I think in general you know we we feel we feel quite positive, um, and so as far as we're concerned you know we're we're you know each of our MDs is kind of executing in their own in their own area. I'm I remain very interested in um, the the just this wholesale shift from satellite cable and over-the-air television to to streaming uh you know these fast channels that people uh talk about on the on platforms like uh roku and pluto and um uh samsung and lg on those platforms uh, you know the viewing habits are moving rapidly over uh to a, a internet delivered um uh content and i think that's going to continue so we work with a lot of companies that are trying to facilitate those moves and not completely disrupt the publisher's advertiser ecosystem and relationship. And it's not always smooth, uh, but 
It's uh, but there's some really remarkable companies out there doing some interesting things that will make for, I think, a better, uh, more targeted advertising and viewing experience for consumers, uh, with the ability to do some interesting other things in terms of interacting with uh, video and content around uh, investing around gaming, uh, both uh, video games, but also uh, uh, but betting, um, but also. You know, interacting with advertisers. You know, so I think this sort of interactive experience on on what we've used to call the television screen is going to change uh, dramatically in the next few years. It will be fascinating to watch for sure. And yeah. with that, Nick, I'd just like to thank you so much for joining us here on the Pencils Done podcast. Sure. Very much looking forward to continuing the conversation in the days ahead. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Finalis is a broker-dealer platform with everything that M&A advisors, investment bankers, and placement agents need to succeed. We deliver a broker-in-a-box regulatory affiliation solution, replete with tech-enabled compliance, research and analytics, deal lifecycle management tools, and a first-of-its-kind deal marketplace. Learn more at www.finalis.com. You've been listening to Pencils Down, a Finalis podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us keep covering the latest in the private securities brokerage landscape. Thanks for listening. Until next time. 